Lord, we thank you for your presence, your power, Holy Spirit, that you would come have your way in every life. We thank you, Lord, right now. Lord, I pray that as I'll be a vessel tonight that is surrendered, and Holy Spirit, you would speak through me. It won't be me, but it'll be the voice of the Lord through me. And Lord, I pray that you would help us right now to have good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Holy Spirit, prepared and made ready for what you're wanting to do. And I pray that as I open my mouth tonight, you would speak through me words of life and power that will be as living seeds sown into good fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, and will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until you come. Lord, we thank you. I pray right now the hearers, those that are here, those that, that will hear this through the Internet or other means, Lord, that you would anoint their eyes to see and ears to hear. Give them eyes and ears of the Spirit in good fertile soil. And, Lord, I pray that their lives would be wide open and humble and teachable to what you're wanting to speak tonight. And, Lord, we apply the blood of Jesus over this harvest that's connected to this sermon and bind the enemy away from it right now. You will not steal or hinder this in any way, in any life. And, Lord, we ask you that you would even send the angels of the Lord to watch over this word and what you're wanting it to be accomplished. And, Holy Spirit, that you would go and guard this and let this go forth, and as the word of God says, and accomplish everything you sent it forth to do. We bless you, Lord. We bless this word. And I bless those that are listening. And we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name. All right, I'm going to talk about something extremely important tonight, about what Jesus paid for you to have on the cross. But I'm going to start in Romans chapter 10. This isn't in the notes, but if you want to jot down as you're writing some things down, Romans 10, starting with verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the word save there, sozo in the Greek, remember? which means healed, delivered, protected, preserved, made well, all those different meanings. It's basically all the promises of God wrapped up in one word. It says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be sozoed, will be saved. Verse 14, how, how then can they call on one whom, whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah said, uh, Lord, who has believed our message, consequently faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. The word is rhema. Okay, remember that? In the Greek we talked about this. Logos is what God spoke past tense. Rhema is what God is speaking now. The rhema word of God, what God is speaking now, produces faith in the hearer. And then all who call upon the name of the Lord will be sozoed because they have faith because they've heard the word. Are you seeing that in this? You've got to get deeper than the surface. A lot of people that preach the word never really get deeper than the surface. And you've got to go deeper because the Holy Spirit brings revelation. The way that we start moving into the sozoed life, how many knows once you accept Christ, it's God's will, it's his promises that you walk in victory. And it's with health and deliverance and, and, and provision and prosperity and different things. It, it really is. I can prove it, okay? And I will prove it tonight. I can prove that it's his will that you prosper and be in health in life just as your soul prospers. 
That's the will of God. But for people to have that in their life, they've got to have faith, and faith comes by hearing the word. And it, it saddens me that these type of sermons I'm going to preach tonight are not preached. I'm going to tell you, I have never, I'm going to preach something I've never heard anybody else preach. But it's so scriptural, but Satan tries to steal this stuff. And basically, the last little while I've been preaching on some doctrinal issues about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, different things about faith and healing. Tonight, I'm basically going to deal with the doctrine of deliverance. Okay? But it has to do with what Jesus paid for you to have on the cross. I'll just give you a quick testimony. Rachel said I could use this. When she came to our ministry, in the physical area, she was diagnosed at one time with hepatitis C, hypothyroidism. Uh, she had a, at one time had a malignant tumor, other tumors and cysts, menopause, migraines, um, neuralgia, um, in different areas like chronic uh, gastrosis or uh, scoliosis and gum disease. And you know what? She doesn't have one of these things now. Not one. That's the physical. The mental, there was diagnosing things like ADD, anxiety, panic attacks, insomnia, anorexia, and there's about six different others here. And there were six different medications listed on here, and she's totally healed from that as well and not taking any medication. That's moving into the life of Sozo that God promises us. You're going into a life of victory. So let me jump into this, and I'm going to give a testimony also at the end of this, but Galatians 3.13, if you want to turn there. Christ has redeemed us, purchased our freedom. It's on the top of your notes if you don't want to turn there. Christ has redeemed, purchased our freedom from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, and I put these parentheses here in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 21.23, Cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come on us as Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That one scripture right there is about to come to life to people that are hearing this. And you're going to see this in a way that you've never seen it. And if you'll apply this to your life, I promise you that there's going to be some huge breakthroughs. And as a matter of fact, I've never, to my knowledge, I don't remember ever having a dream about a sermon. But God gave me a dream to, to show me how significant this sermon is for you, but I believe for many more in the future as well. This is very significant. But most people in the Western church, and as far as Gentiles here in the West and Europe and, you know, America and Canada and all that, there's not a lot of knowledge about some of this stuff because people have broken away from our Jewish heritage in Christianity and have had this mentality that you just throw away the Old Testament and just read the New but how many knows you can't even understand the New Testament unless you understand the Old? It doesn't make sense. And all 66 books of the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit and relevant for us today. Okay? And so I'm going to be taking you back and forth to both of them to show you. This is a classic example. How can you understand your redemption from the curse of a law if you don't even know what the curse of a law is? And so we're going to go back and look at some of that. But let me give you this as a foundation as I'm moving into this. There's basically nine curses for disobedience of the law under the Old Testament. If you were somebody that lived under the law 
And before you came to Jesus, you were under the condemnation of the law. Today. Okay? But going back even before Jesus died, if you lived under the law, there was basically nine curses that would fall on somebody that worshipped other gods and that lived in disobedience to God. And this is them. Humiliation, barrenness, unfruitfulness, mental or physical breakdown, family breakdown, poverty and famine, defeat, oppression, failure, and God's disfavor. And that pretty much covers everything that you would not want in your life. Amen? All right, now here's the seven blessings. This is the blessings given to Abraham, as I just read in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed you from the curse of the law so that the blessings given to Abraham come on you as a Gentile. When you accept Christ, you've got to understand this, and I don't know why this isn't emphasized more. There is a covenant where you're not just, you know, in the Old Testament you had to be circumcised physically. When you accept Christ, you're circumcised in the heart. You come into a covenant with God. So the blessings of the Old Testament, the blessings of Abraham, come on you as a Gentile. Abraham was blessed in every area of his life. He was so blessed by God, you can look through the stories that it's just amazing to me. Had a long life, had health, had a blessed marriage. He was wealthy. He was protected from his enemies. God's favor was all over him. But one of my favorite stories about Abraham was that here he was, this old man, and he's got his, basically his family. And how many knows Abraham at this time before Isaac was born? It's not like he had a bunch of sons. Okay, so listen to the story. It was him and his family, and there was an issue in Sodom where three kings came and raided Sodom and Gomorrah before they were destroyed and took his nephew Lot as a prisoner. Abraham decides, or Abram at the time, decides to take his family and go whip three kings, and he did it. He whipped three armies in one night and took Lot back. And tell me God wasn't all over this man. You don't go out and fight three armies with your little family. And he didn't have a bunch of sons to go with him either. But the seven blessings given to Abraham were exaltation, which means you would be lifted up above others, health, reproductiveness. Reproductiveness has to do with being, being able to have children. Prosperity abundance, God's favor, and victory over your enemies. Those are the seven blessings. And that's in a nutshell. Derek Prince kind of compiled this, but that's in a nutshell. I'm going to read you some things tonight to show you where these things are derived from. Okay, They're derived from Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, but I'll get to that. Also, you can look on people's family lines, and you can see certain things to indicate, is there a generational curse? Now, let me assure you that a generational curse is a curse under the law. And what are we talking about? Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. You know, there's a time, and I need to say this, there is a time in everybody's life when you accept Christ and you do need to get on your face and get everything confessed and earned the blood from your past, okay? You need to go through and you need to confess and renounce the sins of your ancestors and get free from that generational curse. It's not that that will save you or anything. But you need to go through all that. There's a time to walk through deliverance. There's a time, and you guys know what I'm talking about, to go through and, and get everything kind of cleansed away. But once you've done that, it's time to start moving in faith 
that Christ has redeemed you from the curse of law and start taking the land that Jesus paid for you to have, the land of victory. So I feel that many of you have gone through this deliverance aspect and you've prayed about your sin, you've got things right with God and all of that, and you're on your way to heaven. And then you took it a step further and confessed the sins of your ancestors to get free from any you know, generational garbage, which I'll talk about. You've done that. Now it's moving into faith to take the land that Jesus paid for you to have. Because you should be coming out of, these things should be passing away. Humiliation, barrenness, mental physical breakdown, things like mental illness or physical problems, family breakdown, poverty, famine, defeat, oppression, failure. That's just stuff should become, start moving into your past, and then you start, should start moving into prosperity, abundance, exaltation, health, victory of your enemies. You see what I'm saying? You're, move, you're translating out of the curse of the law and moving into the blessings given to Abraham. Because some of you in your past, in your family too, there's been worship of other gods and, and witchcraft and all this junk and there's been sexual sins and things that's, that's, you know opens you up to the devil's influence. But when you accept Christ, his will is that, number one, you're forgiven, but number two, you get victory over that stuff. You know, you, you can come to Jesus and just simple childlike faith say, Lord, I accept you. Forgive me my sins. And right then, if you're genuine, you're on your way to heaven. You're washed in the blood, okay? But let me tell you, Jesus does not want you to live in defeat and oppression the rest of your life, though. He wants the quality of your life to be blessed. All right. Here's some signs that there could be a generational curse on a family line. And some of you guys need to take some of these notes. I felt this as I was preparing it. Get a three-ring binder or something, put it up, get these things, because you're going to teach this down the road. And some of you are going to see demons coming out of people. You're going to lay hands on the sick, and they're going to recover, and you're going to see the power of God through your life. Okay? But here's some signs of generational things. A history of physical or mental breakdown, where people are shut down physically with health problems or mentally with uh, mental illness. Number two, repeated chronic sickness, where somebody gets one problem just to move to the next, and they spend their life from one sickness to the next. Another sign is a barrenness or a tendency to miscarry, where somebody either can't get pregnant or has repeated miscarriages. Number four is divorce and family alienation. Number five, continual financial stress and poverty. Number six, accident prone, repeated unexplained accidents. And number seven, a history of suicide or early deaths in the family. These are signs of generational curses. But let me tell you, if you see this stuff in your family, okay, there, there's obviously something there. But let me tell you, you can be free from it. Yes. And you can move out of generational ble- uh, curses and move into generational blessings. Because the Bible does say in Exodus 20 that he will visit the iniquity onto the third and fourth generation. But listen, he says, but I will bless a thousand generations of them that love me. Let me tell you, God's blessing is so much more powerful than the devil's curse. There was a story in, the, in Numbers where this king of Moab named Balak, he was desperate because Israel had just come out of Egyptian bondage, and he heard the stories. Can you imagine if you was a heathen king back then, and you heard of Egypt, which was the most powerful and prosperous nation of that time, okay, that the God of the Israelites just annihilated them. And it wasn't through war. I mean, hailstones came down. He, he just whipped them good and brought the children of Israel out and put them out there. And, and this king is saying, man, if their God did that to the Egyptians, 
I don't stand a chance. So here's what he did. He decided to hire somebody that was somewhat of a sorcerer named Balaam to come in and put a curse on Israel. So Balaam stands up there, and Balaam was so messed up, you can read the story for yourself if you don't believe me. His donkey rebuked him, but anyway, I won't dwell on that. But anyway, so he gets up there, and it's a true story, but it's in the Bible. He got up there, and he was going to curse Israel, and basically, to make a long story short, he said, how in the world can I possibly curse somebody that God has blessed? He couldn't curse them if he wanted to. Once you move into the blessings of God, the devil can't, he cannot curse you. Do you understand what I'm saying? If God says financial prosperity over your life, how is the devil going to curse with poverty? He's not, God, God and God's blessing are so much more powerful, there's no way that he can do it. It's not possible. Okay? And God wants us to move into these blessings. Or here's some signs. I'm going to go through them quickly. Sometimes people live in torment from evil spirits. Okay? And here's some signs that there might be something there. Fits of rage, constant headaches, migraines, insomnia incurable diseases, fears, mental illness, seizures, suicidal thoughts, problems with reproductive organs, depression, addictions, fascination with the occult, nightmares, hearing voices, seeing scary visions, stubborn arrogance, compulsive dishonesty, marital problems, dizziness or fainting, sharp unexplained pains in various parts of the body. Now listen, Satan's kingdom attacks people's bodies with health problems. He attacks people's soul with mental and emotional torment. He attacks your human spirit. He attacks the human spirit where it's difficult to pray and read the Bible and go to church and grow spiritually, okay? He attacks people's night's rest. He attacks relationships and tries to bring strife. He attacks finances and tries to bring poverty, marriages, and he also attacks ministries. The more powerful the ministry, the the greater the attack. I'm trying to just kind of just open your eyes to the reality of, hello, we are in the middle of a war. And we're not, like, far from it. I mean, it's all around, okay? You know, I'll talk about this more with the, the end-time teaching I'm going to do in a couple of weeks, but, but there's some nutty stuff going on. I mean, some, some weird stuff out there, okay? And Jesus said, in, the, when, in Matthew 24, they said, what do you say about the end times? And Jesus said, watch out that nobody deceive you. That's the first thing that came out of his mouth. Great deception in the end times. I'm trying to open your eyes. This is the work of the devil. When God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, there wasn't any sickness. There wasn't poverty. There wasn't relationship problems. They never fought. They were in perfect health. Everything was literally a paradise, and that's the way God intended it to always be. Adam and Eve are the ones that messed it up by sinning. And literally, when they, when they obeyed the devil and they sinned, they gave the devil authority over them to a degree. You understand what I'm saying? And so God, he showed his will for humanity in the garden. But look at the way things are now. It's the opposite of the Garden of Eden right now on the earth. But even though that's the case, we can move in, we can walk in blessings, and we can walk in victory. And it will be a sign and a wonder to the world around us, okay? And I'll talk about this more with the end-time teaching, but, you know, Revelation shows that there's these plagues and different things that are going to come on the earth, very similar to what happened with the Egyptians. If you read it and you look at, if you look at Moses and what happened through his ministry, then you look in the book of Revelation, there's some parallels, okay? But there's going to be these things coming upon the earth 
But if you look at the children of Israel, while all that stuff was coming on Egypt, they were hidden in a land called Goshen, and not one of those plagues touched them. God protected them. So what I'm trying to say to you is, even though the end times are going to be, going to be very dark, there's going to be things happening, we can be prosperous and we can be protected. As how many knows that, you know, whether or not the American economy is up or down doesn't affect my finances. Because I don't base mine on the American economy. I base it on the kingdom economy. Okay? And that, that's why whenever, the, you know, whenever we started moving into a recession and the housing, you know, went down and the, the economy went down and all the things that happened, the people in our ministry actually did fine and some got raises and bonuses and nobody lost their home. Nobody had any problems because we were living by kingdom principles. And I kept preaching on it and everybody was living by faith. All right. And the first thing is, if you want to live by kingdom principles, is living a life of tithing. And secondly is, is just letting God use you to be a blessing to others. Okay? And when God speaks to you, bless, bless others. Give, not just money, but food, provision, etc. If you're that type of person that ties faithfully and you're a giver, you're going to be blessed by God. Okay? All right. The next thing is, I want to read through some of this stuff. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28. Let's go to Leviticus 26 first. I'm going to take just a moment here to show you this stuff. Actually, if you would, I'm sorry, go to Deuteronomy 28 first, and then we'll come back to this. And the reason why is because the the curse is listed in um, 27. The curse is a Mount Ebal. All right. Everybody there, your page is turning. It's Deuteronomy 28. We're going to start in 27, though, and 27.9. All right, so under the law, you were blessed if you obeyed the law and did what it said, but you were under a curse if you disobeyed the law and worshipped other gods. Okay? Now, here we go. Let's start with, um, actually, let's start for the sake of time, verse 14, 27.14. The Levites shall recite to all the people in Israel in a loud voice, Cursed is the man who carves an image or casts an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of a craftsman's hands, and sets it up in secret, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is the man who dishonors his father and mother. I'm just going to read through these quickly. Cursed is the man who moves his neighbor's boundary stone. In other words, stealing land from your neighbor. Cursed is the man who leads the blind astray off the road. And let me tell you, as a lot of people read that, basically, I'll tell you something that God hates, and if you want God angry with you, let me tell you how to get it. Oppress the weak, oppress the weak, poor, and defenseless. God hates it. Pick on somebody littler than you. You know, oppress somebody that's helpless. Okay, that's what he's talking about here. Cursed is the man who leads a blind person off the road. All right, number 15, or 19, sorry. Cursed is a man that withholds justice from an alien, the fatherless or a widow. Cursed is a man who sleeps with his father's wife, for he dishonors his father's bed. Cursed is a man who has sexual relations with an animal. Cursed is a man who sleeps with his sister, the daughter of his father or daughter of his mother. Cursed is a man who sleeps with his mother-in-law. Cursed is a man who kills his neighbor in secretly. Cursed is a man who accepts a bribe to kill, innocent, uh, kill an innocent person. And cursed is the man who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. 
So the Bible clearly says there's a curse that comes on somebody that's doing these things, okay? And that last one pretty much sums it up, sums it up whenever it says it does not keep the words of the law, okay? But let me show you the difference between a blessing and a curse. I think you're going to see this in a way you've never seen it before. Now, remember what I talked about. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law so that the blessings given to Abraham come on us, okay? Let me show you something. Here's a blessed life, and I'm going to try to explain this as I go because a lot of people read this and they don't really understand it, okay? I'm going to read this chapter. Ready? If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you to this day, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. That's exaltation. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. How many knows that's everywhere? The fruit of your womb, your children, will be blessed. The crops of your land and the young of your livestock, that's your provision. Back then that was their provision, okay? It will be blessed. The calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Verse 5, your basket and kneading trough, that's your food, your kitchen, your food will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. That's at all times. The Lord will grant you that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you in one direction and flee in seven. How many of you know you won't be blessed by God when the devil comes at you in one direction, they're going to flee in seven? Amen? The Lord will send a blessing on your barns, that's your savings. And on everything you put your hands to. How many of you won't be blessed that everything you put your hands to is blessed by God? Everything that you do, all your work, all your labor is blessed by God. Okay? You can because of Christ. Okay, I'm going to show you. And the Lord will bless you in the land that he's given you. Verse 9, the Lord will establish you as a holy people as he promised you on an oath if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. All the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, the crops of your ground, and the land he swore to give your fathers. I love this next verse because some things have both natural and spiritual meaning. Verse 12, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land and season and bless all the works of your hands. You will lend to many nations and borrow from none. Let me show you how powerful this is. In the natural, this both has natural and spiritual implications. In the natural, I sometimes get a little irritated when I hear people complain about the rain. And let me tell you why. Just go somewhere where it never rains. Those people live in poverty and famine and they're sick and they have all kinds of problems because it don't ever rain, okay? There's a natural blessing, okay? And I'll talk here in a moment about America. But how many of you know I want to have the heavens open over my life, over my life and God sending his rain, which is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and God's blessings showering down on my life and blessing the works of my hands? And that can be in the ministry as well, that your ministry is an open heaven and God's pouring out his spirit and he's blessing your ministry with fruitfulness and success. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. That means that you're going to be the decision maker. I heard somebody say one time the tail gets kicked around, but the head makes decisions. All right. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God, that he gives you this day and carefully follow them. You will always be the top and never the bottom. Don't turn aside from any of the commands I give you to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. Now, the curses for disobedience, pretty bad. Here we go. You ready? 
brace yourself, put on your little seatbelt, get ready. All right, it's about to get turbulent. All right, uh, verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and his decrees, I'm giving you a day, all these curses will come upon you. Now, remember earlier I said these, remember verse, I'm sorry, in chapter 27 where it talked about cursed is the man that does this, okay? This is the result of a curse. As I read to you, be thinking, this is what a curse looks like, okay? You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and eating trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. The crops of your land, the calves of your herd, lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and go out. The Lord will send these curses, listen, confusion and rebuke in everything that you put your hand to. How many knows you don't want to have confusion and rebuke everything you put your hand to? You will be destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil that you've done in forsaking the Lord. The Lord will plague you with diseases until he has destroyed you from the land. See, diseases, that's a curse under the law. Everybody follow me? The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, fever, inflammation, scorching heat and drought, and blight. These are curses under the law. Scorching heat, drought, drought where you don't have the rain. And see, look at some other countries that are under a curse compared to America. And America better repent, okay? I'm going to get to that in a moment. Blight, where your crops do not produce fruit. And with mildew, have you guys noticed that here recently, some of you that are older, you'll remember back in the day, when did you ever really hear about houses having this deadly mold that killed everybody, you know? <coughs> this is something that's a curse under the law, okay? Which will plague you until you perish. The sky over your head will be bronze and the ground beneath you iron. I tell you what, I wouldn't want my ministry to have a brass heaven where whenever you pray it just it seems like it just hits the ceiling and falls back down. And the earth beneath you iron. You know, when you have a ministry, you want your ministry to be fruitful. You want people's lives to be changed. You want people to be getting saved. And you know, if the iron if the earth is iron, that means it's not producing anything for you. It means you go out witnessing, you never see things. You know what I'm saying? There's a curse. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder, and it will come down from the skies until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them in one direction and flee in seven. So it flips it around, or you're fleeing from your enemies. You will become a thing of horror. To all the kings of the the earth, your carcasses, how many knows that death is a curse under the law, your carcasses will be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and there will be uh, no one to frighten them away. The Lord will afflict you with boils of Egypt, tumors, festering sores, the itch that cannot be cured. The Lord will afflict you with madness, that's insanity, blindness, and confusion of the mind. At midday you will grope like a blind man in the dark, and you will be unsuccessful in everything that you do. Day after day you will be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. Let me just say, any oppression of the devil, any influence of the enemy is a curse under law. Remember that. You will be pledged to be married to a woman, but another will take and ravish her. So see, there's an attack there against marriages. You will build a house and not live in it. You will plant a vineyard and not even be able to enjoy its fruit. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you will eat none of it. Your donkey. And the thing is, back then, this stuff was so significant to these people. And I know in Western society, you can't understand this. The ox was how you plowed your fields. I mean, if you didn't have these things, how were you going to survive? 
And back then, the donkey and such, that was their mode of transportation. So in today's society, you could see it as your vehicles, that your vehicles are under a curse. You ever seen some people just have continual problems with things? That's a curse. They go from one problem to the next. They seem to always, if there's a lemon in the parking lot, they buy the lemon. And then it ends up they get something fixed and something else goes wrong with it. They get it fixed, something else goes wrong with the car. It's just one thing after the other. That's a curse. Your sons and daughters will be given to another nation. You will wear out your eyes watching for them day after day. Um, the labor you produce, and you will have nothing but cruel oppression all your days. All right, I'm going to skip down to some of this. Um, for the sake of time, you can read over all this. You will sow much seed, but you will harvest little because the locusts will devour it. The alien who lives among you will rise above you higher and higher, and you will sink lower and lower. That makes me think about some things in the political realm even now. All these curses will come upon you. They will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the Lord your God, observing his commands that he gave you. They will be a sign and a wonder to you and your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity. Therefore, hunger and thirst and nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve your enemies that the Lord sends against you. And he will put an iron yoke on, on your neck until you are destroyed. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away to the ends of the earth like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you do not understand, a fierce-looking nation without respect for the old or pity on the young. And they would devour the young of your livestock and crops. And then it keeps going down. Because of the suffering that your enemy will inflict on you during the siege, you will eat the fruit of your womb. And it talks about desperate. People have become desperate and turn to cannibalism. It talks about more diseases. But at the very end, it talks about, but if you will turn and pray and repent, then I will have mercy. Okay, that's the end of it. But I want you to see, these are the curses under the law. And when you go back to Leviticus 26, it's very similar. It almost says the same thing. You can read it for yourself, but it talks about it. I mean, you see things in there about, you know, cursed food, cursed with sickness, cursed finances. Um, talks about death, curse on your crops, enemy enemy being victorious over you, laboring in vain. One of the interesting curses in here is that it talks about that there would be wild animals that would come in that will ravish the people and their crops. And God's been allowing me to see some things over the last couple of years, and I've been seeing how America... Better repent. I'm about to get to this. But America as a nation better really have people praying and interceding and there needs to be repentance because you can see the curses in this in areas of this nation coming coming up. Okay. And one of the curses that was interesting in Leviticus 26 in here, it talked about the wild beasts, wild animals coming in and ravishing people and their crops. And I was watching this show on Animal Planet that was talking about there was this sudden outbreak of wild boars that a lot of people don't know about and the government's not talking about and the media's not talking about it. But the farmers are at their wit's end because they can't kill them. They kill them, but they've already had dozens of babies. They kill them, they've had dozens of babies, and they're coming in and wiping out their crops. And it's so bad that farmers are paying good money just to have hunters come in and wipe them out the best that they can. That's a curse under the law. This stuff, this deadly mold, sickness and disease, 
the rise of divorce being at more than 50%. These are things that are listed specifically in here as a curse. For turning your back on God and serving other gods. So as you summarize those things, you get the nine curses I mentioned at the beginning. It's like a summary. Okay, let's move on. If you have questions about this afterward, come see me. But also, there's a curse in the Bible, in Levi- I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 23.2, for a child that's conceived out of wedlock. And this is important that you know about this and you pray about it, okay? Whether you've been conceived out of wedlock or one of your children or maybe one of your grandparents or something like that. And it says that they will not enter the assembly of the Lord down to the 10th generation. Now, most of the time, these curses only go to the third and fourth generation. But this one goes to the 10th generation. Okay? I've seen this curse at work in some people. And what it is, it seems like something's blocking them from getting saved. And it seems like whenever they're at church, they cannot enter in and get something from God. It seems like they, you know, entering the assembly of the Lord, the assembly of the Lord has to do with church. And you know what I'm talking about? They have a hard time going to church. They have a hard time growing spiritually. It's like a curse there. But once that's broken, then the skies will open over their life and they can start coming into Christ into the fullness. But there's something on this that, that hinders people from getting right with God and worshiping God and growing spiritually, okay? Another thing I would mention, even though we're not under the legalistic views of the law, but there's still a pattern here. God did mention working six days and resting a day. And I encourage everybody to make sure that you have a day that you rest. Some of you, you, it's a choice, but you're going seven days of the week and then you get burned out or have, you know, maybe health problems or something. It's because you're not doing what the Bible tells you to do. You need to have a day that you take it easy and rest. Okay, there's a reason that's in the Bible. All right, another thing is generational curses, which we've already talked about, or a curse on the law. Let me show you something interesting. Leviticus 18 says the land will vomit out its inheritance, or I'm sorry, its inhabitants, because of these six sins. The land will vomit out. Everybody say vomit out. (laughs) Its inhabitants because of these six sins that's listed in there. Incest, adultery, witchcraft, shedding innocent blood, specifically mentioning Moloch, and Moloch was the god that wanted child sacrifice. Homosexuality and bestiality. All right. What concerns me is, is these things are in this nation. And the Bible says these six sins that will cause the land to vomit out its inhabitants. You can be born again on fire for God or whatever. Let me tell you, the quality of your life can be affected by other people and things around you. So let me show you something. There's a power in what's called vicarious repentance. In Daniel chapter 9, this is deep, follow me. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel was a righteous man. But the children of Israel had sinned, and they were in Babylonian captivity. And Daniel humbled himself. He saw, by reading the old scrolls of Jeremiah, he saw that they were only supposed to be there 70 years, and 70 years was up. And so he began to pray and fast and seek God. 
correcting the sins of the land. Even though he didn't do it, the, the inhabitants did. Okay, He was confessing the sins of the nation. And whenever he did, the Bible said that God released those people from captivity. Okay, so Daniel chapter 9. He was an innocent man, but he confessed the sins of the nation. And let me tell you, if you want to separate yourself from the curses, let me just say a few things to help you understand. We live in a democratic society. So that means everybody can vote. Okay. Some people, and somebody needs to say this, okay, some people go to the polls and they vote, and they're putting their signature, whether it's in handwriting or it's digital, they're putting their signature and voting in people in the office that specifically are pushing abortion, same-sex marriage, and other things. The curses that are on America from God because of these things and others will attach themselves to those people, and they deserve them. Somebody needs to say it. Hello? Y'all need to be amen in this. If you know that somebody is doing that and you support it, let me give you an example. If there was a person that went out and they hired another person to murder somebody that they hated and they paid them, you know, say $10,000 or whatever, they didn't pull the trigger. Somebody else pulled the trigger, but they're just as guilty. Somebody else is carrying out your dirty work but you're guilty in the eyes of God for putting them there. And there's some people, somebody needs to say this too, there's some people that would hate somebody of a lighter complexion for voting for a president or a congressman, something like that, just because of their skin color. But I'm going to ask you, some of you that are listening to this, did you vote for the last president just because of his skin color? Because some people did, and it's wrong. And it's hypocritical that they would hate somebody else for doing the same thing. And not only that, you ask them, well, are you pro-abortion? No. Are you pro-same-sex marriage? Oh, no, no. Well, see, why would you put somebody in office that is? You're going to answer for it. And I'll tell you something. There's some people need to hear this in this nation because they, they're good, they think that they're right with God. They're making their own rules. They're ignoring the Bible. And they're thinking whenever they die, they're going to see this happy face on Jesus and all this, and they're going to see an angry countenance on the Lord. And they're going to be a part of that Matthew 7 crowd that says, Lord, Lord, we, we prophesied and did all this stuff in your name, and Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. There's a power in getting on your face and repenting of the sin of the nation that you're in. How many knows I want to be separated from the curses that are on this nation because of their sin? I'm not sharing in this sin. And I'm vocal about the fact that abortion's murder. Okay? We're not going to have anything to do with it. Homosexuality is a sin. It's an abomination to God. We're not going to support it. And I grieve for people out there that think that they can make their own rules. They think that they can take Christianity and witchcraft and amalgamate it and come up with some hybrid and that they're still going to get into heaven. That's not the way it works. How many knows there's not many ways to God? There's one way, through Jesus. And there's this end-time religion. Listen, there's this end-time deception right now 
that is the rise of an Antichrist spirit preparing the way for the Antichrist, you better hear me, that is trying to have this melting pot of some counterfeit version of Christianity. And it's trying to be very passive and accepting toward all these other religions. And not only religions, but things like homosexuality and other things and witchcraft. And and it's like all of this is okay. And they have this attitude, why can't we all get along? And I'm going to tell you what it's going to produce. is going to It's already done it, but it's producing a great hatred toward true Christianity because true Christianity stands right in the face of it and says, you're wrong and you're in sin. And it, listen, and they think that there's all these different ways you can get to God. There's one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's one holy book, the Bible. There's not another one, okay? There's one mediator between God and man. That's Jesus, and that's it. And anybody that wants to come another way, one of these days is going to find themselves in hell, wishing that they had listened to somebody that tried to warn them. But these curses has come on this land. All right. There's also curses that are attached to ethnic groups. I'm saying this for a reason. Listen. There's curses that are attached to nations. And if you confess the sin of your nation, you can be protected from that evil influence. There's curses that are attached to ethnic groups because of sin that's traveled down family lines, okay, in the ethnic group. You can see it really strong in certain ethnic groups. But even, for example, in my heritage, there's a Native American. You can definitely see that in the Native Americans. You know, they had the witch doctors and, and worshipped other gods. There's curses attached to that ethnic group that has got to be repented of. But in Jesus, you're redeemed from the curse of the law. So that means whenever you get before God and say, Lord, I ask forgiveness for this stuff, and I, I don't want anything to do with it. Separate me from these curses. You can be separated because Jesus paid for it. Okay? And you can see it, just to use one example, is, you know, for example, the, the issue with those that have come from Africa back many years ago. It's sad, but when you look at Africa, you see intertribal warfare. And let me explain that. This is how it happened. One tribe this large family rose up and would slaughter another tribe and then sell them into slavery. Then, whenever the opportunity arose for this other tribe to grow in strength and power, they would retaliate and slaughter the other tribe. And this has been going on for a long period of time. And it's horrible. But you can still see the generational curse because it's brought, even though they're moved from one location to the next, you still see intertribal warfare on the streets with all this violence with gangs. It's the same spirit. It's a generational curse that has traveled down family lines that is now affecting them where there's this gang violence back and forth, territorial. I'm just showing you one example. You can go through any ethnic group out there, and you can see what I'm saying. You can look at the Hawaiian culture, beautiful culture in many ways, but there's, it's steeped in witchcraft. The word kahuna was the literal witch doctors that they would go to. Any, any ethnic group out there, okay? And so I encourage you to know your ethnic background and to repent, ask forgiveness, and repent of the sins of those ethnic groups and get separated from those curses because the Lord wants you to be free. There's also curses that travel down family bloodlines 
because of the sins of ancestors. And ancestors that have done things that have brought curses on families. Okay? And as you confess the sins of your ancestors, God can break that and separate you from that and set you free. Okay? Everybody look this way. God wants you to be free from this stuff. He wants you to be free from the stuff on the nation, free from things that are ethnic, and free from generational curses in the family. He's paid for it. He wants it to be broken off your life. And I'm telling you, the devil doesn't want this type of preaching. Because the result of this type of preaching is a lot of freedom in people's lives. Because I'm going to tell you, how many of you can raise your hand and honestly say, I have never heard a sermon like this before come into this church? I'm going to tell you it's true because there's nobody preaching on this, but it's sitting right here in the Bible. If people would preach on it, there's going to be a a huge mass deliverance and victory and freedom in the body of Christ. Okay? How do demonic spirits gain entrance into people's lives? On the next page, just go quickly through it. Number one, through unforgiveness. Number two, being dedicated to other gods. Every other religion out there dedicates the baby, you know, just like Christians do. They dedicate the descendants, all right, to other gods. Number three, occult involvement of any kind, witchcraft, divination, sorcery, fortune-telling, psychics, I mean, any of that. And let me tell you, if you're watching the movies and you're playing with the stuff and listening to some kind of music, don't be surprised if you have curses and evil spirits in your life. You know, the Bible says don't have anything to do with it. If you want to mess with it, that's your business. Okay, if I was you, I'd stay away from it. Number four, idolatry. It's anything you put before God or trust in more than God. Number five, Freemasonry or any secret societies. Number six, drugs, alcohol, and tobacco use. Number seven, bondages and addiction. Anything that controls you, okay, instead of you controlling it is dangerous. Remember that. Number eight, sexual sins. The two become one. When you have sex with somebody, okay, the two become one. Anything in their life can transfer into your life. And it defiles the body, soul, and the spirit of somebody when they get sexually sinful. Number nine, Jezebel and Ahab spirits. When you see things out of order in families, when the husband is not the head of the home leading the family, okay, the wife is not being submissive and obedient and everything, and children are not honoring and obeying their parents the way they should, that order that God has put there, is there's such a protection in that when people will honor that. But now, in these end times, you see men shrinking back and not being the leaders of the home they should be. You see wives rebelling against their husband and not being obedient to everything. And you see children disobeying and disrespecting dishonoring their parents. With it comes a curse. I can show you it in the Bible. All right, number 10, death. Where you see things in your past or your ancestors like abortions, hatred, suicide, murder, things like that. Let me tell you, a spirit of death brings with it a lot of suicidal tendencies and also a lot of health problems. And there's been people that maybe had a, a grandparent or somebody committed suicide, and there's like a spirit of death that needs to be broken off that family. All right, number 11, marking the body, cutting, piercing, tattooing, marking branding the body. I have prayed for more people over the years that have done this and been delivered of some things. I can't even begin to tell you, okay? The Bible says not to do it. Just obey the Bible. Um, Number 12, cursed objects. Be careful what you own and what is in your house. 
Some people go to other countries and they bring back stuff because they think it looks pretty. And with it, there's such a powerful curse. Some voodoo witch doctor didn't put something on that. And here they got it. They got it. And I'm serious. They got it sitting in their house. And they're like, I wonder why all of a sudden there's nightmares. And my, my child's having nightmares. And our, our marriage has been full of strife. And, 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 you know, there's been this sickness and all this weird stuff. It's like, hello, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 7.26, don't have that stuff in your house. There's a reason because it brings in garbage, spiritual garbage in your home and evil spirits. And stuff. Number 13, trauma or loss of consciousness. The devil takes advantage of traumatic events that happen in people's lives. So people have been really hurt, especially in their childhood. Something happened that was traumatic, and now they need to be delivered from like a spirit of rejection or a spirit of fear or something like that. Number 14, word curses. There are some people that have had things spoken over them that's hateful and destructive and negative that somebody spoke over their life and it is oppressing them and that needs to be broken. Number 15, dishonesty and criminal activity. Number 16, ancestral curses, iniquity, and familiar spirits. And then number 17, these things can open somebody up to the enemy as well. Pride, fear, rebellion, lust, rage, and religious spirits. Religious spirits counterfeit the power of the cross and they counterfeit the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing me? And it's religious. And it brings with it, a religious spirit brings with it fear, condemnation, guilt, and it oppresses people. The Holy Spirit brings liberty. All right? The Bible talks about sin, transgressions, and iniquity. I'm going to go through this really fast reading this. Jesus paid so much on the cross that a lot of people don't even realize. I mean, it was 1 Peter 2.24. He paid for our sin, and we can be washed and cleansed in the blood of Jesus. He paid for transgressions. Transgression means rebellion. It's different than sin. Eve sinned because she was deceived. Adam rebelled. He knew better. Eve sinned. Adam transgressed. That's all through the New Testament, by the way. Iniquity is totally different. Iniquity means bent, crooked, or perverse. So here's how it works. Some people have sinned. Other people have transgressed. They know better, but they do it anyway. They know it's wrong. They know the Bible says not to do it, but they do it anyway. That's a transgression. And some people have iniquity in them. Iniquity is something that passes down bloodlines. It passes down from generation to generation. It's some spiritual perversion inside of people that they inherit. Listen to me. This is important that you understand this. The Bible says Jesus was pierced for your transgressions. A piercing is where you bleed on the outside. But it says he was bruised for your iniquity. A bruise is when you bleed on the inside. Iniquity is something that is perverse within a person that draws them towards certain things. Let's, let me give you an example. Let's say somebody had a grandmother that was a witch. They find themselves feeling drawn toward witchcraft, and they don't know why. Somebody had sexual perversions in their dad, and now they find themselves dealing with lust and being drawn toward it. Somebody had an abusive alcoholic father and hated it, but just to turn out being a, an abusive alcoholic themselves. Why do these things happen? Because there's iniquity in somebody that draws them toward it. But Jesus paid for it that your sin can be cleansed 
transgressions washed away, and iniquity taken out of you by the power of the cross. Does everybody follow me? So no matter what you have in your life, Jesus paid for the freedom. And some of you guys need to take this and study, study over this this next week and let the Lord really get this in your spirit. Number two is healing. Jesus paid for complete healing, body, soul, and spirit. Number three, he paid for deliverance. He hung six hours on that cross and became a curse for you so you can be set free. Number four, poverty was broken. I mean, in Genesis 3.17, you read how Adam had said that you will work and you will eat by the sweat of your brow, but the ground will produce thorns and thistles. Jesus took thorns and thistles on the sweat of his brow, breaking the power of that poverty off your life. The glory, now this is a, a strange one if you've never heard a teaching on this, but in Genesis 2.25, how many knows whenever God created man, he said that he created him in his image and likeness, okay? When you read the Bible, you see God, it says in Psalms, he wraps himself in light. It's the glory of God. When he created Adam and Eve, in Genesis, you can look this up yourself, in Genesis 2.25, the Hebrew for nudity there is arom, A-R-O-M, and it means partially nude. So what in the world were they covered in? They were created in God's image. They were covered in the glory of God. All right. And then in Genesis 3, 7, after they sinned, the word for nude is erom, E-R-O-M, and it means totally nude. Here's what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. One of the things that happened was, was that the glory of God lifted off their lives. The glory is something of God's manifest presence in your life, sensing God's nearness And the glory, just like whenever you hurt yourself, what's the first thing you do when you hurt yourself? You start putting pressure on that. The glory of God is like a pressure that is applied to the pain in people's lives that is comforting. But when Adam and Eve sinned, the glory lifted off their life, and man has been searching for it ever since. That's why people look into the occult, because people are hungry for something supernatural and spiritual. They just don't know what it is. But Jesus died, most, most scholars believe he died completely nude, but nonetheless, he did die at least partially nude, but he paid for the glory to come back in your life. Okay? Number six, authority and power in our hands and feet. Mark sixteen seventeen, Deuteronomy eleven twenty four. I don't understand it, but there is an awesome authority and power in our hands and feet as Christians. Jesus was pierced in his hands and he was pierced in his feet. And now the Bible says that we can lay hands on the sick and they can recover. It'll take just a moment to look at your hand. There's nothing fancy about your hand, all right? But in Christ, I have seen people get hit by the power of God laying hands that flew in the air several feet. I've seen demons scream and come out of people at the laying on of hands. I've seen sick people completely, totally healed at the laying on of hands. There's an authority and there's a power in our hands that's available because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. There's also an authority and a power that's available in your feet. And you can read about it in three different places. Here in Deuteronomy 11.24, it says, Everywhere the soles of your feet tread, I'll give you. Same thing for Abraham and same thing for Joshua. Everywhere the soles of their feet tread, God said, I will give you. Now, in the New Testament, do you remember when Jesus sailed across and he was on that boat and he was going to the, to the Gadarenes? There was that man that had a legion of demons. As soon as Jesus' foot hit the soil, 
that demon-possessed man started screaming at the top of his lungs and came running toward Jesus, begging him not to throw him into the abyss. What happened? The authority and power, when Jesus' foot hit that soil, it was probably like a shockwave that slapped that demon, and he started screaming. Okay? Look, I'm telling you this to increase your faith tonight. You have a lot more authority and power available to you than you probably have ever realized. Okay? Number seven, you have the ability to die to sin and live for righteousness. That's what grace really is. People have perverted the grace message completely. They have no clue what they're talking about. Grace is God's unmerited favor. What grace is is the empowerment by the Holy Spirit in you to live a holy life. Not to make excuses for your sin. But it is the power of God within you to live righteously. And that's why 1 Peter 2.24 says that he bore your sin in his body on the tree that you might die to sin. And live unto righteousness. There's no excuse. And it won't hold up on judgment day. Number eight. The resurrection life of power. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The Holy Spirit who has the power to raise the dead lives in you. And you can live a resurrected life of victory and power. Number nine. Total victory over Satan's kingdom and death. Number 10, the curse of the law was broken. Here's seven places Jesus shed his blood. I love this. He shed his blood first in the Garden of Gethsemane. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. In a perfect garden, they were told one thing. You know, that was the Bible of their day. Seriously. That was the Word of God. That was the Bible that Adam and Eve had. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. That was their Bible. How would you like to have to live in such a paradise you just have one scripture to memorize and your life was paradise? And they still messed it up. But Adam and Eve were in a garden, a perfect place, and the devil came to them. And in a perfect place, they ate of the tree of death. Jesus was in a garden as well, the Garden of Gethsemane. And in an imperfect garden, he chose life. Now listen to me. Whenever Jesus, the first place he shed blood was in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did Adam and Eve do in Genesis? They said, God, not your will, but mine be done. Jesus was also in a garden, and he was sweating drops of blood. He was shedding blood. And he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And he broke the power of rebellion right there. By his blood. Now, because of Jesus and because of the cross and because he shed his blood, we have the power now to be able to look to God and say, not my will, but yours be done. The power of rebellion was broken. That's the first place Jesus shed his blood. The second place was at the whipping post. And Isaiah saw it and Peter referenced it that by his stripes you are healed. He paid for your healing. The third place was the crown of thorns, which I already mentioned. He shed blood as those thorns were pierced into his brow. And he broke the power of poverty. Letter D, nails in the hands, nails in the feet. We already covered the spear in the side. This is such an interesting study right here. First in the tabernacle, what do you see? Water and blood on the outside. 
What do you see whenever a baby is brought into the world? Water and blood. Whenever God took Adam and said, it's not good for you that you're alone, I'm going to make a helpmate, where did he take something out of Adam to create his bride? Out of his side, out of his rib. When Jesus shed water and blood out of his side, this was significant because he was purchasing a bride. Not only was he purchasing a bride, he was making a way for people to be born again. Because what you see at a birth is water and blood. And you know why Jesus died and why, the actual physical reason? You know why there was water and blood come out of his side? This is, this is powerful right here. Jesus died of actually a broken heart. His heart had burst. And that's why blood and water flowed out. So the power of people being healed of a broken heart was paid for at the cross. Okay? You guys seeing the cross in a new way? When you preach the cross, the power of God shows up, and I feel it. Another thing was, I've already mentioned this a lot. It's a whole sermon, but on the tree. Deuteronomy mentioned that cursed is a man who's hung on a tree. Jesus hung on that tree for six hours, willingly on that cross, so that the curse of the law, he hung there becoming a curse. How many knows the Bible clearly says Jesus, no man took Jesus' life. He willingly laid it down. He could have got off, but he willingly allowed himself to be tacked on that tree, and he was becoming a curse on the cross for you so that you could be free from the curse of the law. There was a reason for it. And when Jesus ascended, he dealt with the original sin. I heard somebody preach on this, and I love it. Remember when Jesus said, don't touch me, I haven't ascended yet? He had to go deal with some stuff, okay? But it was interesting, if you read and study this whole thing, when Jesus actually gave up the ghost, when he died on the cross, he went down into the underworld and looked Satan in the face and took from him the, the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And then he turned and he shouted to all the hell, it's done. He proclaimed it. And then he went over to paradise and he got the people who had died under the law who were righteous men and women of God. Let me say something to you. In the Old Testament, people don't understand this, but they still died in faith. They, were, they gave their life, they, I mean, they, they lived their life doing these, these animal sacrifices and such, and they were looking by faith in the one who was to come one day. Every time they shed blood, they, they were saying, there's a Messiah that's coming whose blood will finish this. I'm putting my faith in the one who's to come. And they died in faith. And now, 2,000 years later, we look back at the cross and we die in faith, believing in what he already did. So everything came together at the cross. But these men and women of God who had died under the old covenant were in a place called paradise, Abraham's bosom. And Jesus went down there and got them. And he took them up to heaven. That's what he said, don't touch me, I haven't ascended yet. He took them up. But as this is the greatest story. If you read about when Jesus died on the cross, listen what happened. The earth shook. Rocks split. The sky had already gotten dark. There was thunderclaps. The veil had ripped in the temple, which was way too thick for a human to do. And it says that people started being raised from the dead and went throughout the streets and were seen by many. When Jesus went down to paradise and brought them back out, some of them raised from the dead. How would you like to have been there that day? And it's like, man, it's thundering. 
you know, the little earthquake going on. And then dead uh, Grandpa Charlie <laughs> shows up wanting a glass of water, you know. <laughs> but those people died in faith, and Jesus took them out of paradise up into heaven. And then he appeared, we know the story, he appeared to many over a 40-day period. But Galatians 3.13, listen to this, any sickness of any kind, any oppression or defeat from your enemies, any mental or emotional disorders, insanity, struggles with sin, relationship problems, poverty and lack, curse on the works of your hands, being fearful, a cursed home, lack of strength, transportation cursed, savings cursed. Labor in vain, demonic torment, marriage cursed, parent-child relationship cursed, confusion, kitchen and food cursed, no rain, drought, blight, and mildew, wild animals overtaking you, live in terror, blindness, skies above you being brass, the earth beneath the iron. That is basically summing up the curses under the law. All of those things are a curse under the law. That means Jesus redeemed you from the curse of the law so that you can live in victory over these things. I love Psalm 125.3, the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land of the righteous. At least they put their hands to do evil. Or it says here, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. The scepter was the rulership and the authority. It says the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the righteous. God won't let it happen. Jesus paid for your liberty and he will break that. On the back, you can read this on your own. It's 60 sins that bring a curse. Listen in the Bible. I want to read you a story. I read this already to some, but not everybody heard this story. All right. God's word is powerful. Now, listen, some of you, I want everybody please give me your best ear right now. Listen, this is probably the most important thing I've said all night. All right. Now you know what the curse of the law is. Now you understand Galatians 3.13. You understand, okay, well, now I know what the curse of the law is. It says in Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, makes sense, okay. You understand now what to be believing to be victorious over. Now, how many of you heard in there sickness and disease? How many of you heard poverty? You heard marital problems. You heard mental problems and insanity. Okay, and I could go on and on. That was the curse under the law. Jesus paid for us to be victorious over that. But here's the thing. What I mentioned earlier, there's a time to go through deliverance and get all the junk dealt with. Okay, I understand that. There's a time for that. There's a time to confess stuff and get it out. But once you've done that, you need to start moving in faith that it's done and start taking your inheritance. Now I'm going to read you a story about faith. Some have heard this, some have not. Just bear with me and listen. It's really good. There's a lady named Dr. Lillian Yeomans, a medical doctor and a surgeon, received divine healing after becoming ill to the point of death due to a narcotic addiction. Medical science couldn't do anything to help her. She came right down to death's door, and medical science told her that she had to die. But then someone told her about an account recorded in the Bible where Jesus healed a woman with the issue of blood. So Dr. Yeomans had been in a backslidden condition for several years at this time. But when she heard about the woman with the issue of blood who was healed, Dr. Yeomans got back in relationship with God. Then she received healing and was raised up, raised up from her deathbed. 
After being raised up from her deathbed and realizing that divine healing is good and right, Dr. Yeomans began to preach and teach divine healing from the Word. And she did this for many years. In one of her books, she talked about enjoying 43 years of divine health. How many of you guys would like to enjoy 43 years of divine health? All right. In the course of time, Dr. Yeomans and her sister bought a large home with money that they had inherited from their parents' estate. And they turned their house into uh, what they called a faith home. That is, they would take people in who were sick so that they could get them healed by God's divine power through faith in his word. All the people they ministered to were terminally ill or incurable. In other words, the doctors had given up nearly on every one of them to die. And they were all beyond the aid of medical science. Yet Dr. Yeomans and her sister, listen to this, rarely lost a case. They got most of them healed. These are people that were at death's door. Okay. Dr. Yeomans got these people healed by doing what I'm telling you to do. She would read scriptures on divine healing to them and tell them to confess them over and over again to themselves. Dr. Yeomans and her sister could only take three or four sick people at a time into their faith home, so they had a waiting list. In one case in particular, a woman who had been on the list came to them who had tuberculosis. When the woman arrived at the faith home by an ambulance, Dr. Yeomans checked her pulse and knew the woman was in a dying condition. In fact, Dr. Yeomans said if she had been practicing medicine, she would have immediately began to administer a strong stimulant to stimulate the woman's heart. But Dr. Yeomans didn't have a license to practice medicine in this particular state they were in, so she just took the dying woman taken to one of her bedrooms. Dr. Yeomans related, I sat by the bedside and read to her from my Bible, and I said to her, close your eyes and rest and just listen to the word. For two hours, Dr. Yeomans read healing scriptures like the ones contained in this book. Um, instead of giving the woman a shot to stimulate her heart, she gave her God's dose of God's medicine, his word. Dr. Yeomans had all the uh, scriptures on the subject of healing marked in her Bible, and she read healing scriptures as woman's from Genesis to Revelation. Notice she didn't read scriptures to her on the subject of water baptism. The dying woman didn't need to know about water baptism. That wouldn't heal her. She needed to know about healing. The woman needed to hear what she needed, that is divine healing, and thank God God's word provides for every need. So Dr. Yeomans related, I would read to her the entire chapter of Deuteronomy 28. That's what we read tonight. Okay. And then Galatians 3. That's what we read tonight. Then I read other healing scriptures, but I reread those two chapters over and over again to her. Then I asked her, didn't you notice that according to Deuteronomy 28:22, that consumption or tuberculosis is a curse of the law? But did you also notice that in Galatians 3:13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law? Therefore, he has redeemed you from tuberculosis. In those days, tuberculosis was one of the biggest causes of death in America. That was before the days of uh, advanced medical science. This woman was in the last stages of the disease and was virtually dead as she lay there on the bed in the faith home. Dr. Yeomans instructed the woman at every waking moment, repeat this out loud. According to Deuteronomy 28:22, consumption or tuberculosis is a curse of the law. But according to Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. So Christ has redeemed me from tuberculosis. So she was supposed to quote that over and over and over. The next morning, Dr. Yeomans and her sister read healing scriptures to each of the four patients who were in the faith home. And Dr. Yeomans said to the woman with tuberculosis, Did you say what I told you to say last night? Yes, the woman answered. It seems like I didn't even sleep ten minutes, and I must have said it ten thousand times. But it still doesn't mean a thing to me in the, yet. And that's, that's all right, Dr. Yeomans said. Just keep saying it according, keep saying 
according to Deuteronomy 28:22, and the same thing that she had her say, um, where it's a curse of the law, but Christ has redeemed you. The woman with tuberculosis continued to take God's medicine. When Dr. Yeomans went to her room to read to her the next morning, she asked the woman, are you saying what I told you to say? Yes, the woman answered. It seems like I didn't sleep at 10 minutes again. I must have quoted the scriptures 10,000 times, but they still don't mean anything to me. I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of it. That's all right, Dr. Yeoman said. <clears throat> Just keep saying it. Keep repeating it to yourself. So the woman was so weak and so far gone physically, she couldn't say it very loudly, so she just said it quietly to herself under her breath. Afterward, Dr. Yeomans and her sister were in the kitchen cooking the noon meal when they heard some commotion upstairs in one of the bedrooms. Now, you got to imagine this because they had four terminally ill people that were bedridden, okay? So they heard a commotion upstairs it sounded like somebody hit the floor running all the patients had been bed fast and virtually dead but one of them was up and out of bed and running and so she was calling dr yomas dr yomas so dr yomas rushed down the kitchen and this woman who'd been dying of tuberculosis was rushing down the stairs hollering dr yomas did you know i'm healed i'm healed i'm the one that had tuberculosis but i'm healed yes i know dr yomas said i've been trying to tell you that for three days See, it just took the word. I'll explain that in a moment. What happened to this woman who was dying just days before, the word that she had been confessing got down in her spirit. It wasn't some magic potion, and it wasn't Dr. Yeoman's great personality or abilities that got this woman healed. It was the word. It was faith in God's word that healed the woman and raised her up the deathbed. So as the woman was meditating on the scriptures in her mind and confessing them out of her mouth, that was one thing. But when the word got down in her heart, in her spirit, it ignited faith. And the Bible says it's with your heart that you believe in your mouth that you confess. And once she had heart faith and confession to match it, she was totally healed. All right, so you see, Dr. Yeomans knew that eventually the truth of God's word would register in the woman's heart. Many folks are just sitting around waiting for somebody else to do something for them. They're waiting for a healing evangelist to get them healed, or for the Spirit of God to manifest himself and heal them by the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit may or may not manifest himself that way. We don't control spiritual gifts. Only God does. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit is divided every man as God wills it to be. And the Holy Spirit manifests himself to one here and to one there. And God does this as a sign to get people's attention, know that he's alive and working in people's lives. However, if you just sit around and wait for a manifestation of the Holy Spirit to come to you, it may never come. But I'll tell you one thing about it. God's word always works. God's word works, and I challenge you to take these scriptures and quote them. So as she was quoting that, those scriptures over and over, and, her, and she kept saying it, the word of God got in her heart, producing great faith. And then that came out of her mouth, and her body lined up with the word of God. So no matter what it is, whatever is a curse of the law, if you've been battling generational curses, if you've been battling poverty, if you've been battling mental illness, if you've been battling physical illness of any kind, if you've been battling uh, marital problems or any of the things we listed tonight, it's a curse under the law. And as you begin to confess, just like this lady, in Jesus' name, this situation is a curse under the law. But Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed me from this by becoming a curse for me, for it's written, curses everyone who's hung on a tree, redeeming me that the blessings given Abraham come on me, and I receive the Spirit by faith. 
as you keep confessing that, it's going to produce in you heart faith. And what I felt as I prepared this sermon was that there were people that you're on the brink of a breakthrough, and this truth that I preach tonight is actually, to some people, the only thing that's lacking for your breakthrough. Because you've already 